The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you are absolutely in the right place. What's the buzz today? Well, this is an interesting one from W. Edward Deming. Yes, I provide quotes, too. Here's the quote. Survival is optional. No one has to change. Just let that sink in for a second. We're talking to you. We're talking about Internet of Things, and today we're talking about it is time for a modern data platform. Stick around. I have three experts, and they will explain it all. So let's talk a little bit about what this means. The Internet of Things. You all know we've done this series. This is, I think, the fourth season. Shout out to our sponsor at SAP, Ira Burke, uh, for bringing back the series for season four. Ira, I'm pretty sure it's season four. The Internet of Things can be complex. It sounds sexy. It sounds great. But it's complex. There are multiple data platforms, and they're not very flexible. There are incompatible protocols, like the Tower of Babel or Babel, however you prefer. There's slow performance. There's a lack of governance, and there are high volume of streaming data. Oh my, the challenges. So it's 2017. How can we bring this all together to solve real world business challenges and cultural challenges and capture new business opportunities for your company wherever you are in the world? Well, we're going to call the solution a modern data platform for IoT Internet of Things. And you're saying, say what, Bonnie, what are you talking about? Think about this. A platform that can handle all kinds of data independent of the data type. Wouldn't that be great? How about a platform that combines IoT data with existing business data, all of that legacy data you have that's sitting there in new and innovative ways? Wow, wouldn't that be great? And think about a platform you can use to take the next giant leap in IoT productivity. Sounds like a dream? Be still my heart? Well, it is possible. We have three panelists who are going to talk about how this can come together. Let me tell you who they are before I introduce them specifically. So first up, we're going to be speaking with Walter Munzenberger. He told me to call him Walt. We're good friends now. He's a vice president in the Global HANA Center of Excellence at SAP. Joining Walt on the panel is Carol Clark. She spells Carol without an E and Clark with an E. I have to make sure I get that right. She's a VP in database and data management for SAP. And rounding out the panel is Tim Hardy, also a vice president in database and data management for SAP. So let's start off with the quotes my panelists have sent me. And first up is Walt Munzenberger at SAP. And Walt sent a quote. And those of you scratching your head, who? Is he one of the Olsen twins? Is he their brother? No. Ken Olsen, Kenneth Harry Ken Olsen, 1926 to 2011, was an American engineer who co-founded DEC, D-E-C, 
Digital Equipment Corporation in 1957 with his colleague at MIT, Harlan Anderson. Let me give you a little background here. Ken was known for his paternalistic management style and fostering of engineering innovation early with that word innovation. Interesting sidebar, he didn't like fancy stuff for himself. He had an office in an old mill building. His staff didn't think it was good enough for Ken, so they built him a modern, expensive office, and he simply refused to use it. He also flew his own plane, and he liked to visit suppliers without announcing that he was coming. Woohoo, interesting guy. So here is the quote. This is a classic. Listen up, because it's prophetic in a very backwards way. The quote is, there is no reason for any individual to have a computer in their home, by Ken Olson. Walt Munsenberger, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you, Walt? Great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. We're delighted. Talk to me. This is such a classic quote from Ken Olson. He was predicting against the future that we know is absolutely true, and and there was Deck in the forefront of so many things. So talk to me. Is this this quote, did he mean it facetiously? Was he serious? And how does that apply to our conversation today about Internet of Things and the modern data platform? Uh, Walt? Yeah, I I think a lot of times we, we, we create complex things, and we all want to sort of uh, dumb them down in a way. Um, so a lot of times the, the, these complex things, it's like, oh, it's too complex for, you know, a homeowner to have. Uh, yet now the car that you drive has seven or eight complex networks in it. The cell phone that you operate on uh, is, is a full-fledged, you know, computer. We all have mm-hmm. desktops. We all have uh, laptops. Um, but even more interestingly, as, as we move into this IoT realm, the home itself is becoming a connected device. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a geek. So, you know, I have, I have my Nest thermostat and my uh, Nest uh, video cameras at the front door. And every time my wife goes and walks the dog, I can, I can see it, <laughs> even if it's on the road, if, even if I'm on the road. Um, so, but it's this connectedness that's really driving uh, the world right now. Um, and there's tremendous improvement uh, that can happen in, in our individual lives. Um, uh, cars are now becoming connected in interesting ways to, you know, facilitate automated driving behaviors. Uh, but then uh, the cars can begin to connect to municipalities to report, you know, ice on the road uh, or a pothole. So those are these are the interesting crossovers in digitalization. And it, it was interesting that somebody that was so innovative was so wrong <laughs> back then. <laughs> so it's always been a very interesting quote for me. Very, very interesting. And and what's interesting to me, Walt, is that Ken lived with, was in this world until 2011. That was February 6th, actually. That was only six years ago. The the anniversary of his passing will be uh, in five days, four days from now, uh, six years ago. So he knew about all this stuff. Do you think he was smacking himself in the head and saying, what was I thinking back then, you think? Well, uh- yeah, well, hindsight is is perfect, right? So I, I, I think uh, would uh, you know we went from the horse and buggy into cars, and uh, you know we went to, from uh, you know taking uh, you know boats across the Atlantic to flying across the Atlantic. So you know the future is hard to predict. Um, now, where I would say that that's probably not not any longer true is we can predict the future and and data. Uh, is the key element in being able to predict the data, uh, the, the future. The more data, generally, you know, conventional wisdom is the more data, the better your predictive capabilities are. So, and that's where you get into, you know, where does all this data come from? Where does it get stored? How big is it? You know, the big data word. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a very exciting uh, future. I, a little anecdote, you know, we, we talk about terabytes of data. And then we, you know, I think now we're talking about petabytes of data. Um, the industry has actually named, uh, and now we actually have some customers that are dealing with zettabytes. Uh, China Telco is, is one, and you can imagine where that's all coming from, you know, from everything that's being captured by your cell phone. <laughs> but they actually have three more, and you can win some trivia contests with this. Uh, after Zettabyte, uh, the next uh, one is called Yadabyte. Mm-hmm. I, I think that name is actually pretty interesting. Uh, the next one after that is Brontobyte. I think of Fred Flintstone with a big brontosaurus burger. Um, and then the last one that's actually named is Geop, G-E-O-P Byte. And that's out to 30 zeros. The fact that we even have these things named is sort of scary, but it's exhilarating uh, as a technical person. It's exhilarating at the same time. I'm glad it's exhilarating to, to you, the uh, the uh, self-avowed geek. Uh, question, interesting note here, Walt. Before we, Carol, I'll get with you in a second. I looked up Yadabyte as the way you said it, Yada, Y-A-D-A-B-Y-T-E. Well, guess what? There were two spellings, not only Y-A-D-A, but Y-O-T-T-A. That's yeah. the Yeah, that's the one that's on Wikipedia. All of the other entries on Google are Y-A-D-A. Wikipedia says Yadabyte, Y-O-T-T-A, is a multiple of the unit byte for digital information. The prefix yata, Y-O-T-T-A, indicates multiplication by the eighth power of 1,000 or 1024, and I'll leave it at that. Everybody, that's your homework assignment. Go look it up. Thank you, Walt. Very, very interesting. You're, showing, and you're, now let, you're, you're, you're truly a geek with me. So uh, I'm, I'm an avid geek. I'm, a, I'm an admitted geek, nerd, uh, uh, multitasker, you name it. My listeners know that if you or Carol or, or uh, Tim bring up something that I think is interesting, I'll Google it in a heartbeat and, and share the information. So there we are. We're all geeks together today. Thank you, Walt. Now let's bring on Carol Clark, Vice President in Database and Data Management for SAP. She is looking back in history of literature and has brought us a quote from Victor Hugo. His full name was Victor Marie. Hugo, 1802 to 1885, definitely not in the age of Internet of Things or whether we should or shouldn't have a personal computer. He was a French poet, a novelist, a dramatist. You may know him from his Broadway show. That's a joke because he wasn't around, I don't think, for Broadway. But in 1862, he wrote Les Mis, Les Miserables, considered to be one of the greatest works of world literature. He is also considered one of the greatest and best-known French writers. He wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1831. He also wrote poetry collections, produced more than 4,000 drawings, and campaigned for social causes like the abolition of capital punishment. So he was a, I would say, a Renaissance man and a social advocate and activist. Here's the quote, another beautiful quote for our show today. Victor Hugo said, There is one thing stronger than all the armies of the world, and that is an idea whose time has come. Carol Clark, welcome, and how are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm looking forward to our show. Thank you very much. Talk to me about Victor Hugo. Are you a big fan? Have you seen Les Mis a hundred times? And, <laughs> and uh, have you read Hunchback? And, and have you followed his, his Les Contemplations and La Légende de Siècle, his poetry? How did you pick this quote? Because I think it's a great one, Carol. Actually, I am a fan, and I, and I have seen uh, the various um, works of art that he has uh, created. I think it's a, an interesting twist, too, because he is, um, 
you know, way back in the early day, like you said, before the Internet, and he did not have the opportunity to foresee what was going to happen in the future, kind of like what we were talking about with, uh, with Ken and Deck. You know, we saw how that ended up in regards to digital's uh, future and how that all went down. But Victor, I think, was very insightful. And I love the quote because I think that really what it's saying is that, you know, today entrepreneurship is such an idea and the triumph of it is really driven by profound technology change. So when we look at these inventions like the personal computer and the mobile phone and the Internet, it's really democratizing entrepreneurship at a cracking, very fast pace. So now anybody can be an inventor and can be an innovator and create um, organizations themselves. So it's, it's bringing a whole other dimension now to businesses. They need to compete. Uh, like giant organizations that used to have a stronghold in certain areas of the uh, market now are faced with these ankle biters that have now been able to leverage all of this cheap platform to build their own interactive businesses. And perfect example is uh, Meg Whitman, how she uh, grew rich by developing uh, the online marketplace with eBay, where you know people could buy and sell with ever, without ever meeting. So it's it's changed really how we can do things and the time is now and I believe that there is a tipping point for everything and we're at the tipping point now that it's only our imagination that is going to you know delay what we can become and what we can all uh, create as entrepreneurs. So well put. I think there are about 10 quotable moments in there. I couldn't keep up with you, Carol. Very, very well said. I love your energy. Uh, one comment, an idea whose time has come. If you talk to any of the, the budding or burgeoning entrepreneurs, uh, this, the wannabe serial entrepreneurs, let's say in Israel or in London or in New York or, or in Silicon Valley, of course, they would all say their idea is a time who has come and they're hoping to find investors in a marketplace to say, yeah, Bob Smith, this idea has, its time has come. Uh, so, so I think we have a plethora of ideas right now. And you talked about people who have so much opportunity to bring their ideas out today. So I think we are very rich with ideas, many of whom may not be the time it's come, but it's still good for our culture and for technology to have all these ideas. I'm rambling, but do you agree with me, Carol? I do. I do. And I think that it, it's creating a momentum. It allows people to be free to, to build, create to try to actually yes. test out, you know, what they can perhaps dream and see if it'll work in a, in a very short time frame that they can test these ideas. I think it's a wonderful platform for that. I do, too. I like that. And thank you, Carol Clark. Pleasure to have you on. And let's welcome our third panelist. He's calling. We're calling him, actually, in the U.K. It's Tim Hardy. Similar title to Carol's Vice President of Database and Data Management for SAP. Tim has sent us a quote from James Wallman, very much present and accounted for, very modern. I couldn't even find his date of birth, Tim. I Googled him everywhere. And he has a website that's all in the first person. I am this and I am that. But everybody, if you've heard the book of the book Stuffocation, Think of suffocation and think of stuffocation. You got it. Living more with less, why we've had enough of stuff and need experience more than ever. This is what James Wallman believes is the defining problem and the more important, the cultural trend of the 21st century. Let me just read a little bit of what this is about. He says, experientialism will be good for all the stakeholders in our shared future. 
It will work to begin with for all of us. It will make us happier. Listen up, kids. Happier, healthier, richer in every sense. How? Less clutter. I could deal with that. Less regret. Oh, bring it on. Less anxiety. Sign me up now. More meaning, more status. Interesting and controversial. Better conversations, more connections, a stronger sense of belonging. And here's here's a kicker. I don't know if anybody expected. He says a good start would be to raise psychologists to the same level of econo- economists. That's provocative. So here is the specific quote that Tim Hardy has selected from the works of James Wallman. We are moving from a world of materialism to one of experientialism. Tim Hardy, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're delighted. So talk to me. Are you a big fan of James Wallman? And have you read every single page of the 2015 book, Stuffification? Got to share it with us. (laughs) I think we should all read it um, uh, right to the end. Uh, And if there's any of you out there who haven't got a garage full of stuff you want to get rid of, um, you know, you, you should re- you should read it. You will know why you should. <laughs> so, how does this relate to our topic today? We're talking about IoT, Internet of Things. We're talking about the need for a modern data platform that is more welcoming of different types of data that will help us put everything together. Is James Wallman on the right track? And and it, would he say yes to a modern data platform for IoT, Tim? Well, there are some good lessons for us, I think. So, uh, the example that Wallman gives, which which I quite like, is. You know, and, and this could be good for you, Bonnie. Who impresses you more? Someone who's got a fancy watch or a handbag or someone who's climbed Kilimanjaro? Hmm, probably Kilimanjaro. There you go, All right? So what, what, this, what this means, I think, for us from a, uh, from a business perspective is that we can use you know, the Internet of Things to improve our experiences. So if you're a product company you know, who's only thinking about product capabilities and how great it is, they might be missing, missing the point a little bit and they might be in for a hard time. You know? They need to think about how that product provides experiences. And the Internet of Things connecting those products um, gives us that capability to interact with the consumer, perhaps, or, or, or whoever, or a partner business that in some way provides a better experience. You know? And to be able to do that effectively, we need to think about how we do this in a timely manner, how we deal with the types of um, data that we're dealing with that, that you heard Walt describe earlier. You know, and that needs a new platform. Very cool. Are you, a, uh, are you a fan of everything I said, the stuffification? I think I'm not pronouncing right. Stuffocation. I like a fa fa fa. Stuffocation, living more with less. Do you, do you think it will make us happier, healthier, richer, less clutter, less regret, less anxiety, more meaning, more status, better conversations, etc.? Do you believe that that's what it will do for uh, us, Tim? I, I think it's true, but the reality is it's a struggle to get there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, we've, we're all on a bit of a spectrum of, of that. You know, um, who, who wouldn't like to uh, remove some of the clutter and from their life? Uh, you know, uh, central heating, smartphones, wardrobes, clothes. These are all things that we've got through our rising standard of living. Yeah, but does it necessarily give us that happiness? You know, um, and I think people are looking to uh, get those experiences. You know, so it's not just about getting rid of things per se. It's about being able to. Um, get value and experiences from, from doing things rather than just owning and having things. You know, it's just having something there uh, is something that doesn't necessarily give us value in this modern world. 
Thank you, Tim. Very interesting. I'm going to do a little bit of a around the circle here. Carol Clark mentioned Meg Whitman and eBay. I used to teach eBay as a tech class at my local community adult education center, Carol. And we were just talking with Tim Hardy about James Wallman's book, Stuffocation, Living More With Less, Getting Rid of the Clutter. And I pre- presented my eBay uh, learning class as uh, your, your clutter could be someone else's gold or, or treasure, something like that. But I, sometimes these quotes just go into each other. Carol, you want to comment that uh, Meg Whitman would help, would be a big, uh, rather James Wallman would be a big fan of what Meg Whitman did to help us, if nothing else, redistribute our clutter to somebody else and make money for it? What do you think? I was going to say someone else's clutter is someone's treasure, right? So that's right. That's a, a great uh, way to tie them in. And, you know, it was profound that they actually connected back together, the connected whole, right? There you go. We're all in this together, and it's just one big circle of knowledge. Thank you. Guess what? Time for our little icebreaker segment called What's in Your Cup Today? Because Internet of Things with Game Changers is part of our original flagship umbrella series called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So, Walt Munzenberger, I'm going to ask you two very personal questions. Please deal with it, Mr. Geek. You're our official Mr. Geek. Where are you calling from? And either what's in your cup right now, if it's interesting, or what would you rather be drinking that makes you really smile? Walt? Um, well, I'm calling from San Francisco, uh, so it's still a little bit earlier. Um, what's in my cup right now, unfortunately, is coffee. But what I would love to have in my cup right now, and the one my go-to is a Red Bull. Um, and uh, I think the reason I like Red Bull is, uh, it, metaphorically, it gives me wings. And I, a lot of times I, I, I do feel it. It's a, it's a pick-me-up. It gets me energized. Um, it mixes well with other things. We won't go that, down that path. Uh, but but if you think about, you know, what what's the Red Bull for business, it's, it's data. And that's why I get so excited about data. So metaphorically, I, I, I think that it gives me wings pieces. Uh, data gives me wings as well. So that's how I would answer that. Wow, that was a good one, Walt. Very poetic. I appreciate that. Carol Clark, where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? So I am calling from just outside of Boston in Massachusetts. And what's in my cup right now is not that interesting because it's just standard coffee. However, what I'd like to be drinking is a nice Sonoma country red wine blend from Thumbprint Cellars, which is a really unique boutique winery. They have a wonderful tasting room. It's also blending art and an art gallery in downtown Hillsburg, California. And the interesting thing about them is um, I met them on a trip to San Francisco last year and became part of their wine club because of the very special experience that I actually had with the um, the creator in his uh, wine tasting room. They specialize, and this is how he describes it, in a luxurious and uniquely intimate experience. And they basically are very well known for uh, very creative and innovative names, which, you know, I could be bold, uh, Bonnie, but there's some, mm. you know, different audience members listening, but you, you have to check it out. They're, they're wonderful. It's really unique, but it's an intimate part of someone as it can be used to distinguish individuality in a recognizable way. And it's the same thing. I actually like it because it's similar to what we're talking about in the Internet of Things and the uniqueness and entrepreneurship. It actually brings that uniqueness and distinguishes individuals in such a huge world. We're able to really create an individual person and unique experience with our 
um, internet experiences and also with our uh, wine drinking in this example. Very interesting. I am on their website, Thumbprint, just how it sounds, seller, C-E-L-L-A-R-S dot com. And interestingly enough, each wine has a different type of thumbprint. It looks like the FBI would find the prints exactly the same, but the colors are different. So there's one called F-O-U-R-P-L-A-Y. I won't say that out loud. 2014, there's a 2015 Sonoma County Table Wine, MRV. There's a Cabernet and 2014 and a Pinot Noir 2015. They each have a thumbprint. And if you mouse over the thumbprint it becomes a little bit larger and takes you to that table it's in Hellsburg, california thank you carol very interesting we just learned something i'm just going to tweet tweet a shout out to them that would be interesting and let's turn to tim hardy you're somewhere in the uk why don't you tell us where you are and what you're drinking today oh, i will of course uh, did you see how many times carol used the word experience in that uh, i did i did no, i'm winning already <laughs> So, I'd like I'd like to uh, tell you that I'm sitting in a beautiful country pub with a roaring fire and a glass of real ale in my hand, um, but the reception wasn't good enough, so actually I'm not. Um, so what I'm looking forward to after the show is actually gin and tonic. Now, gin's been making a bit of a comeback recently, um, as you know, as many of you more whiskey drinkers will know, the distilleries are all making gin as well as more whiskey these days. Um, there's a lesson in there somewhere. You know, reusing equipment, but I was in Devon at uh, the weekend. That's the south uh, southwest of England. At a new distillery in a place called Salcombe, uh, new as in opened last Thursday, and so of course mm. I had to experience that, you know, and and see the see the still up there, and uh, you know, and have a drink with it. And of course, I bought I bought a bottle home with me. Now the point I wanted to make that. They have, they have classes. They teach you how to make different gin and tonics. You know, and the whole experience of mm. making your own gin and tonic. Do you add grapefruit? Do you add a bay leaf? Do you add a bit of cinnamon? Do you add, a, you know, uh, something else? You know, it's all about building the experience of creating the drink, it's like making a cocktail, I guess. Uh, and you do things in a sort of personal way. Now, I quite like that. Now, maybe I've just fallen for the marketing, of course, but. Um, the experience of crafting that gin and tonic is pretty good, but of course drinking is better, uh, and that's what I'm looking forward to after the show. <coughs> very good. Thank you very much. What's the name of the, the place? Did you mention a place where you take these classes, Salcombe. Tim? S-A-L-C-O-M-B-E. B-E, S-A-L-C-O-M-B-E, and that's in the UK, right? In the UK in Devon, yeah. All right, learning to craft gin and tonics. Wow, very interesting. We got some really good ones here. Okay, oh, Thumbprint Sellers just came up, Carol, in in the... yeah, they just came up. Okay. Uh, Kevin, our engineer, says he's thirsty. Okay. Very, very, very interesting. Yes, Kevin, I agree. I think we're all getting thirsty. Guess what, kids? I'm drinking just a plain old boring, but listen, it's a glass of cool water in a cool, clear mug looking out at what now is a beautiful sunshiny day, thank goodness, here on the north shore of Long Island in New York from my home office where this is the home of Game Changers Radio. I have a yellow straw, the same yellow straw I had yesterday, hoping we get past the gloom into the sunshine and it worked. So I don't have to craft craft gin and tonics or get thumbprints. I could just put a, a bright colored straw and the sun will appear. It's magic. So Carol and Tim and Walt, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days, and Ira Burke knows why, so we could just leave that one alone. We are talking about the Internet of Things. Very lively conversation to our listeners around the world. 
If you think these topics are boring or dry, we are proving you wrong over and over and over again on all of our Game Changer series. We have 14 different series in production right now, and Internet of Things is definitely lively, even if you're looking at it from the data collection and data information gathering and what do you do with it once you get it. How do you put it into a modern data platform, the business side, the tech side? It's still fun and interesting, so stick around. We have a lot more. My special guests today are Walt Munzenberger, Carol Clark, and Tim Hart. At SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I will be after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at twitter hashtag sapradio now let's get back to internet of things with game changers are speaking today with Walt Munzenberger, Carol Clark, and Tim Hardy. This is Internet of Things, and we're talking about what in the world is a modern data platform. Why do we need one? How is it going to help your business innovate, create, grow, be more productive, all those good things. So Walt Munzenberger has agreed to start the roundtable. I'm going to read a little bit from his first set of notes, and Walt will run with it for about two minutes. Then we'll invite Carol Clark and Tim Hardy to chime in two minutes apiece on their thoughts on what Walt introduced. Walt will wrap it up and then I will find a topic in Carol Clark's list and we'll go around the table again and again. So Walt says, we already know he's a self-described 
data geek. He has experienced the explosion in data for the last 30 years we have transacted. Let me just read a bit more, and then he'll run with it. He says, we bought something, we shipped something, we paid for something. Most of our systems have basically been journals to track that transactional memory of the organization. But along the way, all of the other data gets lost. What did customer look at? What was the customer's mood? What was the weather? Where were they? What were they thinking? Were they happy or sad? Let's stop right there. And Walt, why don't you run with this and tell us more, please? Yeah, so this is, I think, where the explosion in data is coming from is all this other data. It's, it's estimated that only somewhere between 5 and 10% right now of the data that is really involved in the business is actually saved. Um, and it is all that transactional data, which is important. I mean, that's the... What's in your cup? You know, that's that crystal clear, mm-hmm. pure water of the business. I mean, we need it. Uh, if it doesn't, if it's not high quality and it doesn't add up, you know, to the penny, then, you know, CFOs go to jail and bad things happen, right? But when we talk, talk, start really talking about the experience, it's all this other data. And we, in technical terms, we call that the context, okay? It's the, the data that surrounds it. It's all that digital data. So if I look at that, this is the murky depths of the big data ocean, right? It's data streaming at me from devices, from uh, click streams, from web logs. Uh, it's, it's data that's in context to when something happened, like you were, you were just saying, you know, the weather of the day. You know, if I could relate the fact that a particular product uh, sells well on rainy days, okay, think about the merchandisers that would actually move product around in stores for those days. So, you know, from a retailing perspective, it really does get into, you know, my supply chain. You know, how is, how is product moving from distribution center to, to retailer in a manufacturing floor? What's the relative humidity of that, that shop floor? Gets up to a certain point, all of a sudden product defects go up, okay? Um, and even much, such staple product as, uh, as Tyson with chickens. You know, it used to be that Tyson used to sell, you know, a leg and a breast, okay? That, that's, that was their business. Now their business... Uh, is the whole chicken, feathers and all. It's how the, chick- mm-hmm. how the chicken was raised. What was it fed? Did it get antibiotics? How was it cared for in the supply chain, right? Uh, small changes, right, such as, let's say, one small refrigerator failure could end up with a salmonella outbreak. So, so it's all of this experiential data that's surrounding the transactions that's really important. And you actually see it now. Uh, you know, I, I, one of my subject matter expertise is, is around retail. You actually see it now in the way the brick-and-mortar is coming back, okay? We all thought brick-and-mortar was dead, right? No, it's not dead. The brick-and-mortar is where you go to experience your product. So Macy's now is taking floor space and dedicating floor space to experiential selling, not having, you know, a hundred of something, having enough so that the customer can come in and experience, oh, okay, you want that color, you want that size, we'll ship it to your home. But it's the experience. And then what they do is they then partner with other vendors to come in and build out parts of the floor space for their experience for their products. It's a total change in the business dynamic there. Interesting. Just a sidebar before I get Carol and Tim in here. Uh, last summer, Walt, I found a pair of shoes. I was in a shoe buying mode, very rare for me, and I found a beautiful pair of shoes that I wanted, and they didn't have them in my size. I wear, I think, still a six or five and a half. And I said, can you order them for me? And they said, 
we will order them, ship them to your home, and once they arrive, you'll have something like 10 days. If you don't want them, bring them back with the receipt in the box, and we will credit your account. So they didn't say, yeah, we'll call you, come on back, we'll have them in the shipping room, the storage room, maybe somebody will be able to find you. The shoes, and they came right to my house. I, I was absolutely stunned, Walt. So this is this is what you're talking about, right? Is that more personal experience? It was an experience, right? Yeah, and, and that's what we really all. I think we all want that. Your, your, God bless your mom. You're saying at the break, a uh, hundred years old. God bless her. Yes. Um, think Thank about you. how all of her experiences. I mean, she can go through her entire life, and she could probably describe the good experiences. Unfortunately, the ones that really stick sometimes are the worst experiences. You know, your 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 experience with a cable company on the phone, your experience with a service center. Your, you know, these are these experiences can be incredibly powerful. Um, they can also be damaging uh, to your brand, to your business. Uh, and uh, we also live in a world of regulated industries. And, and, and there's an interesting, I work a lot with uh, utility companies and a lot with auto, man- auto manufacturers. Their digital transformation is changing the nature of their business. And the government, looking over their shoulders, it's no longer a defense to not have the data or be ignorant as to how to use the data. So when, when uh, there's an airbag recall... Uh, those companies now are facing billions of dollars of fines because they were not able to find a product defect quick enough and get to root cause. So there's real impact to the business of not doing this well as well. Mm, thank you very much. Carol Clark, love to get your POV or what have you got to 10, 10% 10 cents worth on this. What do you think? Yeah, I think the the highlight and um, the most important thing is we're trying to simplify these experiences, right, regardless of industry. And if we simplify how we interact and how we engage with customers, we bring a lot of that opportunity for loyalty related to that customer. So, And I think the other key point that you're both discussing, and happy birthday to your mom, 100 years, wonderful. Thank you. Um, that's the very point. There's different age groups in our world and different people that need or want to engage or be engaged with in very different ways depending on what they're um, used to, their experiences, or what they're comfortable with. And that age range is quite vast. So if we can simplify these interactions, the engagements, and make things easier and better for people, we're creating a, a much better world and our businesses will thrive if we actually deliver what the, what the consumer truly wants in a, in a very quick and uh, immediate way. Thank you, Carol. Tim Hardy, thoughts, please. Sure. Well, you know, I think we're all agreed that this end point is, is, is where we're going. But from a sort of a platform perspective, this, this is what's hard, isn't it? So you're trying to combine all this different data, some of it's the experience data, some of it's the, the business data that's sitting in your business applications. Um, and, and then some of it needs to go back into those applications to make something happen potentially or, or to interact uh, with you know, the customer or, or, the, or the process that, that you're trying to change. Um, I think we, had a, we, we mentioned potholes and cars earlier. You know, just think about that one for a second. Yeah? You found a pothole. You want to dig it up. You want to fix it. What pipes, mm-hmm. what cables are in that road? You know, um, who lives close by that you want to alert to let them know you're going to come and do some work? Actually, how do I schedule the work? Um, how do I tie it back to the system? Who did the work last time so I can get a refund because they didn't do it right because there's a hole? <laughs> um, <laughs> the complexity 
of that and pulling in all these information into the same place and being able to do it in a way that you can make a decision at the right time, you know, not at some point in the distant future when actually you've got around to assembling all that data. And, you know, that's the hard bit, you know, and, and that's the bit that, that, that I think uh, we need to focus on in terms of, you know, a, a new platform that enables us to do that. Thank you very much. Uh, Walt, I'm going to circle back to you and ask you to briefly tie this one up with a red ribbon if you want to, or you can just say, hey, I, I agree with what they've said and we can move on. So, Walt, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think we're all in, you know, violent agreement that the uh, the more complex things are, the harder they are to change. Um, so there's there needs to be a simplification uh, from a data platform perspective that's uh, reducing uh, and eliminating replications of data, data movement um, as much as possible. But it's also at the core of what we're talking about here is, you know, everybody throws out around buzzwords, uh, you know, structured versus unstructured. But what we're really talking about there is that there's data that's going to need to be ingested so fast and has such varied structures that the structure cannot be the lack of agility, okay? The, the structure cannot make us you know, not agile. And and that's really what we're trying to simplify. And there's many internet uh, of things, but also big data concepts now that enable us to re-architect our systems so that we can we can do that. And that, that's really what the modern data, data platform is. Thank you very much. Carol Clark, I'm looking at your notes here. So many interesting things. And I just have to tell you, you and I have something in common, although I think you're much younger than I am. And yes, my mom did have me very late in life, by the way. You say your interest in data and data management has spanned over the last 29 plus years, starting with your career on IBM mainframes with machine level code and assembler and punch card programming. Carol, IBM 431, Xerox Sigma 6 CP5. I was a key punch queen. I was a programmer analyst for the state of Oregon for many years. <laughs> And I was writing, I was fixing spaghetti code on the 4341, and I was building systems on the Xerox Sigma 6 CP5, and those damn card decks, you know, 2,000 cards in a box, God forbid if you tripped and fell, and I was wearing very high heels in those days on a very slippery computer room. Remember when the computer room was the size of a warehouse with the floor you had to put, you're not that old, are you? Yes, the air-conditioned floor underneath. I I was a systems program and operator in those rooms, yes. Oh. Oh, my goodness. I didn't think, wow, you look great. Okay, let's talk turkey. Let's talk serious here. Uh, Let's talk about um, when do companies monetize and justify the value for leveraging new data sources? We're talking about the modern data platform. So I know you sent me in your notes a manufacturing example about predictive quality is now possible. Why don't you explain this rather than have me read from the notes, Carol? Go ahead. Sure, absolutely, and it's and it's along the lines of what we've been discussing about the the customer experiences and and simplifying. So you know, it begins with what we're manufacturing for the customer. Now we have all this vast information about customers and quality and what's going wrong with uh, products after they're delivered. When the customer is upset, unhappy, or there's warranty issues that are now being claimed and and hitting the manufacturer and the uh, the actual. Uh, company that's creating it. Now we have access to all of that information at, at a moment in time. So a customer is having a bad experience, starts tweeting or the brand information about a product. Well, all of that information now can go back directly to the manufacturer and start ingesting that to improve the actual product being created in the development phase. And another aspect to that quality is that we can actually now see and determine through sensors at real time as something is being produced, we can marry 
real-time sensor information coming in about the environment, the room, humidity, um, what's going on in a specific point in time of a machine. For example, in, in a case where I was giving an example was a, a paper mill, a very large, very complex uh, machine that creates our paper. So beginning from the pulp to the end produce the paper phase. It's like the size of a football field. So you can imagine how many sensors are on that machine. We can now take all that information in real time, marry it with other data that we've captured and kept about that process for years of historical information where we've already done um, building of models about what will be the, the theory of a moment in time when the paper could break. And that's, that's now very important because now we can improve a quality process when it's actually in that continuous motion. So if we get information coming in from the sensor, we're testing it against the model of what we know is acceptable, we can actually influence and do things in like immediacy, in real time. We can alert the operator, and the operator now can do some dialogue down of different metrics, how fast the machine is going to produce that paper at that phase or what is actually occurring in that step of the process. And when you can do that, you now have that immediate um, reaction and you can now act right in that moment in time. And when it's a company that has a machine that is so complex and so expensive, you can imagine they have about 400 paper breaks in a year. Mm -hmm. So when they're trying to get those dials just right and try to get the right quality for what they're trying to produce, that could mean like four, four to eight million euro for that one machine just associated with a paper break. So now you can, companies can look at this and monetize and actually do new business processes to now improve that, which will in turn reduce scrap, will reduce that poor customer experience because of the you know, quality of paper wasn't at the level that it should be, or we can even stop things before we're actually creating a lot of extra cost for us. And then that can lead to a lot of other great creative things about looking at the actual machine itself and what it's doing and how that leads into other scenarios where we can have a lot of cost savings and, and truly, you know, evaluate new business models to, to save companies money and to improve that customer experience when they get the product. Thank you, Carol. Very interesting. That's exciting. Is that, are we allowed to use the word exciting in yes. relationship with modern data yes. platform and IoT? Is that <laughs> is that okay? Yes, and that's the whole point. This stuff is sometimes boring when we're talking about data, but this is exciting. It's new things that we can actually experience. It's wonderful. That's, and that's what I was trying to say earlier in the show to our listeners. You say, oh, well, modern data, what are they talking about now? It is exciting. And, and if you're not in these industries or are not reading about them, hearing our panelists talk about these real-life examples, I find it exciting, exhilarating. In, the innovations are just amazing where you don't have to, companies, it, uh, manufacturers don't have to put up with stops and fits and starts like they used to. They now can put in place the sensors and the AI and the machine learning to help them figure it out before it happens, preventive, predictive. I love it. Thank you, Carol. Tim Hardy, thoughts about the example that Carol Clark just shared with us? And do you have another example you'd like to share, perhaps? I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, the, the design process is something that's changing, you know, um, not just feedback from product once you've made it, um, but feedback about the product before you've made it. Now, now that starts getting exciting, too. Uh, my son, for example, is working um, on sort of virtual reality in the car design process. So mm. they, they, they design the vehicle, the insides, the outsides, what it looks like, everything else. And you, as a 
potential consumer uh, can experience it, try it out, and feedback. You know, you can walk around it, you can sit in it. Um, not quite driving it yet, <laughs> but that's not far away, right? Um, and ultimately, of course, you'd be able to click on a button and buy it if you like it. But from a product development perspective, just pulling all this data and feedback in, it just accelerates that development process so much more, um, which, is, which is what we're after, and providing that experience to the consumer. You know, think about that kind of feedback you can get before you've actually built something. No, I don't like the way that fits in there. I don't like the shape of that or the color of that. Okay, we'll change it. Bang, you've done it. Um, that, that, I think, you know, is something that's happening today, uh, and there's going to be more of it coming, you know, and that is exciting. <clears throat> Are we back to the uh, make-for-me generation and, and the, uh, pro- the what do they call it, the lot size of one, Tim? Is that where we're going with this? For some products, for sure, but if you think about the actual process of, of a car, of a vehicle that you might sell a million of over two years, mm-hmm. You know, and being able to get it right first time rather than go and maintain it because after, after three months you got so much feedback from the customers that they didn't like the way the controls worked. Um, it's got to be a good thing, isn't it? So it's not, it's not just on the one-to-one basis. It's actually getting mass feedback in advance of delivering the final finished product. And I think that's has big impact, you know, and it accelerates those It's exciting, too, to know that you could be part of it rather than, oh, damn, there's only one shade of blue. Well, who were they talking to when they designed that car? Why don't they have this one and that one? And you might have a say in that. I like that. Let's circle around the table to Walt Munzenberger. And Walt, we have some interesting examples. Care to share one or comment on these? Yeah, no, there's a – I'd like to extend on this – this relationship of data to a transaction, but personalizing it, it, it actually extends to how things relate to each other. And I, and I, I talk a lot about with customers about this concept of near data. Um, to get them thinking about what is it that we're actually doing out there. Um, and, and so near data is really the relationship of data um, between, uh, it might be people, it might be events, it might be a business process, it might be a device. You know, so in Under Armour, this is a great example, uh, so everybody knows who Under Armour is, and their oh, yeah. mobile app, and they have like four different mobile apps, um, but they can tra- basically track your exercise um, in an outdoor sense. It can track where you're running, where you're walking, and they build off of that data heat maps, and then what they do is they look at all the other things within your little sphere that you're walking by, you know, maybe a particular store down a particular street, Um and they can begin to interact with that in a way where they can really refine, for instance, uh, their billboards. So if they're going to take out advertisements instead of just blanketing downtown Manhattan with Under Armour posters, they can put them specifically where people are known to run and walk. Okay, And then immediately, uh, as they're also tracking then you know, what you're running on, they're taking track of how many steps or, or you know, you're taking during your run, the age and condition of your sneakers and your apparel, Mm -hmm. and they're even talking about tracking perspiration. So they can then distill a whole experience around what's actually happening with that runner. Um, And and then they can do some very innovative things. For instance, let's say you were running in Washington, D.C. here in a little bit, and it's the cherry blossom. Well, that doesn't happen at the same time every year. So Mm -hmm. cherry blossoms just came out. We want to adjust your route, Okay to take you by the cherry blossoms. Okay, this is where, you know, people really start thinking about how I will derive value and pleasure out of things, not, 
you know, hey, just sell, 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 sell the product, right? It's actually building an experience for me, and we keep on using that word, but it's a, it's a really good word. Very interesting. Thank you, Walt. Carol Clark, I'm going to let you wrap this one up. Any closing thoughts? We're just about ready for our predictions, and I'm going to start with Tim Hardy because we didn't get to his notes. But, Carol, anything you want to quickly wrap up on this, these examples we've had? Yeah, I would just say that um, going beyond what Walt is saying about that, you can also look at how all of the connectedness of that that personalized information is now able to also um, give you more information about how you should look at your day. Like we're now at a phase where we could actually give these markers and this uh, information to determine, you know, if we worked out that day or what we ate or what we drank or how much sleep we got. Now we can actually determine what is our best self to put forth for what we have to accomplish in that day. And I think it's amazing that we have all of this capability now with technology, hardware, software, and our know-how and the art of the possible that we're bringing in to come up with these ideas because it's going to make us all very intelligent and happy people. We want to be happy people, Carol. I agree with that. Tim Hardy, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Forgive me, Tim. You had such great comments on the others, and we're going to save these for another, maybe a part two. Ira's listening. Ira Burke. Uh, Tim, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Please predict where will we be. I love the year 2020. As somebody mentioned last week, it's only three New Year's Eves away. I don't know if that makes anybody happy or sad. It's like used to be far off in the future. Now it's right around the corner, kids. Um, so, Tim Hardy, look at 2020 and tell me, what do you think will be the status or the condition of what we're terming now the modern data platform for IoT. I'm going to give you 60 seconds for your predictions. We need to keep it tight. So, Tim Hardy, you're up first. Go. Go. Right. The ideal world that that, that we see, and I think this will be true for many organizations, is that they will have a platform that enables them to process the data that we've just discussed that comes uh, from the experience that comes from devices, things, people. Um, being able to combine that with various other bits of data that you've got in your business, such as, you know, uh, what did it cost? What's my address? Uh, what did I buy last week? Um, from a product perspective, it might be what worked, what didn't, what's the maintenance schedule, all that kind of information, pull it all together and learn things that we don't know today. Yeah, so that, that, that's the big point. We don't know now what uh, we don't know. Uh, this is a key point, I think, that the that, that Walt makes on a regular basis. So, so it's something we, we should pick up on. And wherever we are going to be with this system, we probably wish we hadn't started from here, would, would be my prediction. Um, uh, but it will be about experiences. Uh, it won't be just about operations. It'll be about how we can do new business processes. Um, and if we went 50 years in the, in, into the future rather than just three, uh, I think we'll find that uh, whatever it is, We'll have thrown it all away and we'll have started again. And that's the one thing we can learn from history, I think. Thank you very much. Let's circle around to Walt Munzenberger. Walt, I have about 45 seconds for your prediction, so tell us what you see. I, I, I see connected everything. I think that's a simple one, and we've been talking a lot about it. The other one I, I really believe in is a certain amount of sentience coming out of these, these, uh, these systems. Um, the ability to learn is limited by the amount of data you can ingest. Um, and a human being needs to be removed to some degree from that curation loop of, uh, and this is the cognitive dilemma, right? Um, if we can uh, read unlimited amounts of information uh, with a computer uh, and a data platform to assist, 
the amount of intelligence, the number of things we can test. You know, this is where, you know, cancer will be cured um, because we'll be able to look at so many more combinations of things that right now are very manual processes. So I think this, this idea of sentience and cognition is really the direction that we're going. And then the last one is really one of distribution. So a lot of the new technologies such as blockchain is, is really about distributed everything as well. Thank you, Walt. We're going to be doing a bunch of shows on blockchain. Carol, I have 30 seconds for you, and then we're out of time. So, Carol Clark, predictions fast. I would say going along the theme of what uh, Walt said of the uh, human capability to ingest, and no pun intended, but I think the future will be that the tests will be inside us and will actually become, and it sounds like a futuristic uh, thriller, but I believe that we are going to be providing so much data and we are going to have sensors that we'll ingest and the information will be passed back in regards to many things about the human body. And I think it will lead to a whole slew of other um, opportunities and, uh, and ways of life. So that's my prediction. Thank you very much, and it's a good one. Very optimistic and exciting. Walter Munzenberger, Walt, thank you. Carol Clark, thank you. Tim Hardy, thank you. Kevin at World Talk Radio, thank you for getting us on the air and keeping us on the air. And a big shout-out and a hug to Ira Burke, who is listening and tweeting his tootsies off here at hashtag SAP Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. You know what it is, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Like Walt, like Carol, like Tim, like Kevin, like Ira, and like me. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.